everyone. Welcome to uh, Friday. It's Friday. Know Your Gear Live QA number 64. I hope everybody had a good week. My week was, uh, wasn't was that great, but <laughs> it's okay. We made it to Friday, and uh, today will be good. Uh, and let's see who we got going. Here's here, what we have going on. Let me know, of course, that you can hear me and see me. That'd be fine. Oh, yep, the real uh, says hi. Yep, you can see me. This week, um, so we might have some technical difficulties on the on this live broadcast. So I want to warn you guys right now. So what happened was, in order to improve the content on this channel, I in December of last year, uh, I decided to purchase a better computer. And uh, if you guys remember at that time, I bought new mics, new cameras, all that stuff. I bought a brand new Mac uh, iMac uh, at the Apple Store. Um, one of the really crazy expensive ones. Um, and when I went there, I, uh, I was trying to get two. I was trying to get a new laptop. My, my laptop that I have currently, my Mac laptop, is, um, is an older one. I bought it in 2016, in November of 2016. But even though it was kind of only like a year and a half ago, I bought the one that right before they changed, so it's the older model. And um, anyways, what happened was uh, when I was there at the Mac store, I said, hey, look, I'm thinking about upgrading into a new laptop and a new iMac and uh, getting all that done. And the guy there recommended that I just get a really nice super Mac. Uh, so I bought this really expensive Mac that costs what a laptop and a Mac would have cost. And uh, on Monday, it died. So uh, I took it to the Mac store and, uh, well, they made an appointment. So it took three days to get there, two days to get there, took it there. And they told me it, it died. The motherboard is gone and it needs to be fixed. And they need it for a week for parts and maybe a week after that. So about two weeks to fix it. Uh, so in the meantime, I had to use the older um, um, laptop. And that's what happened this week with the five gadgets video. Uh, the 4K files, I think, were just too big for this laptop. And when it uploaded, I think the, the the upload got corrupted. And that's why some of you guys couldn't open it. So I had to tear that down and send it, relaunch it again. That's why today some of you guys were notified that that relaunched. Uh, this one has been relaunched, unfortunately, at 720. Uh, but HD instead of the 1080 or 4K. But that's because this laptop just can't handle it. Um, so... That is what's going on. But the downfall is I'm streaming at a slower speed and I'm dealing with a slower speed today. So if we're having issues, we'll just have to try and get through it again. Uh, and the sad thing is Mac or Apple has had the worst customer service um, this week. They really don't seem to care that my brand new stuff isn't working. Um, so uh, sad that their company is not what they once were. So and I'll be dealing with that. I'd love to say I'd go to PC now, but unfortunately I have a really expensive brand new Mac that I just bought that I would lose a lot of money if I sold off and switched other. So what do we got going on? Hopefully you guys' week was better than mine. <laughs> this has been computer week, although this will not affect any of the uploads for next week. Um, next week's videos are were already before the computer crash uploaded to YouTube and time locked. So they'll release on their normal times three p.m. Pacific time, 6 p.m. Eastern time uh, on Monday, Wednesday, and then live show on Friday. 
Justin Mabe says, hey, Phil, thoughts on the full-tone OCD, Plimsoll, and the GT500? Sure, easy. I love the OCD. I think it's a great pedal. The Plimsoll I like okay, and the GT500 is not a pedal I enjoyed. Uh, uh, the GT500 is a pedal that, for me, I tried one first because uh, I found a used one dirt cheap, um, and uh, it was all right. So I'm going to give that the okay, like thumbs, like okay. The Plimsoll is like a... B and I OCD. So if you're, if you, what I like of them, what I think of them, they're all okay, but definitely OCD, I think is the shining star of that, that group. Um, I'm sure a lot of people get the GT 500 and like it, but I just thought it was okay. And yeah. Uh, in La Car something Tassa says OCD is a classic. I agree. OCD is a classic and it's a reasonably priced pedal. In fact, the OCD is like the, there's also a pedal called the, the Timmy. Those are pedals that I kind of look at as like being uh, standardized for pricing. You know, they're in the low $100 range. You can buy an OCD used for a hundred bucks. New, I think what they're 130, something like that. Uh, and uh, what's nice about that is, when you see a pedal with that kind of quality for that price range, it's, it's really cool. Uh, Mark Hutchinson says, how long, how loud is the strum buddy compared to the guitar? What I can tell you is the strum buddy is not louder than an acoustic. If you're kind of strumming it pretty hard, but it's about the same volume as a thin body acoustic, uh, playing at night. So it's, it's a reasonable volume. Like I said, couldn't, I don't know if you could gig with it. Somebody said, mentioned about being on a street corner and using it. Maybe, but I would think it could drown it out pretty fast. It's not a loud amplifier, but it's uh, but it's not super quiet either. It's it's like I said, it's in a sweet spot. It's where I, uh, funny thing for curiosity's sake, it's where I like to be. That volume is where I like to be when I'm practicing. Just not too loud that I'm bugging anyone, but loud enough to where you know I feel like something's happening besides a whisper. Tony says, "Why didn't they give you a new one, Mac? I don't know, man. I don't even know." Uh, uh. You know, actually, the worst part was I'll share an embarrassing story uh, since I'm making fun of Apple. I had the, the Mac I got was the 27 inch screen. It's the large one with the 5K screen and the whole nine yards because, you know, I was like trying to up the game, so to speak, on the YouTube channel. You guys probably noticed that over the months, you know, over the last few months, you know, a lot more, uh, you know, you know, like I said, resolution, everything. Uh, but because of the way they make those computers sharp and stuff, I sliced my finger open trying to get it into the store. Uh, just walking. It was kind of weird because I walked in and I'm like, oh, I think I need a Band-Aid because <laughs> those things are sharp on the edges and I was carrying it. Um, so uh, like I said, not a great ex experience. Uh, Beatmaster says iMac Pro. Um, what I can tell you is the iMac I have, I'm not really sure which iMac I have. What I can tell you is a 27 inch screen was three grand. So, uh, so there was a lot, you know, a funny story on that, on top of that, and then we'll get off the, the Mac thing. Um, I paid for the extra service, the Apple plus care, and, um, it really didn't have a benefit because, you know, they're going to have it for two weeks. I go, I'm not sure why I paid extra for the Apple care. And they said, well, you, you know, it's to make it longer. You know, you get one year and now you're going to get three. And I said, well, I really feel like at this point I'm better off buying another Mac. I need to buy a, a, a better laptop so I have a backup in case this happens again. So I said, let's refund the, the, <laughs> the Apple Care. And they prorated it. And I said, well, why would you prorate it? I have coverage for a year. I've only had the computer for five months. Why would we prorate 
the Apple Care, and they said, well, because it took effect. So they actually prorated my extended warranty that never took effect. Um, very scammy. Like I said, Apple, unfortunately, has gone downhill like a lot of companies. Uh, John says, what P-based pickups do you like? Um, you know, for me, I like Bartolini's a lot. I'll put Bartolini's in a lot of uh, bases, especially a P-base. What I like about Bartolini's is um, you can run them passive or active. Uh, mostly you're going to run them passive. Um, if you run them active, it'll be the preamp that's active. The base, the pickups are passive. I really like them. A lot of people like the quarter pounders by Seymour Duncan. Those are pretty cool. Uh, the fender pickups, the aftermarket fender pickups are really good. But me, P-Base wise, I really like the Bartolini's. That's my choice for me. Uh, if you go EMG, you got to go active though. Uh, EMGs can't be passive. So you're going to have to have an active preamp in there for those EMGs. Um, but they do make EMG passive pickups. I should point that out. Not all EMGs are active. So you can get EMG HZs and others that are passive. Uh, Bob Crosley says, wondered if you had any experience with the Fender Strat mid-boost circuit. I have. Thinking about it with a Fender Vintage Noiseless. Would love your opinion. You know, it's really cool. Um, I like that, especially with the Noiseless. That's kind of like, to me, that, you know, kind of like the TBX, the, the boost thing. It's different, but I like it. Um, uh, I think, does David Gilmore... EMG Strat has something like that too, right? In it, like a mid-boost. I'm doing off memory. I, I don't remember what the David Gilmore EMG set does. But uh, no, mid-boost circuit is cool. Um, to me, if you're going to go the vintage noiseless and the mid-boost, I think you'll like it. Um, me personally, I like having a vintage kind of Strat with the old kind of pickups. And then I use uh, lace sensors and another Strat, which to me has a more modern, kind of more noiseless feel. But I like where your head's going. Uh, I've had good experiences with that sound. There's something about a Strat that just needs a little bit more sometimes. Some people like the old vintage style Strats. I do too, but I really like having a Strat with a little bit more, just more get up and go, and that'll do it. Uh, your comments on Electro Harmonics, Leslie G or K? Um, let's see. I don't know what that is. So I'm assuming, so they have like the, the, keyboard and leslie simulator pedals i'm assuming that's what that is i'm not sure but uh tony if it helps a little all of the electro harmonics pedals that i've tried um the uh, all, all of them that are those synthesizer pedals have been great in fact they really kind of blow you away with the quality so let me see if i can look that up just because we have a second. I'm sure everybody doesn't mind to get it right. I'd rather get it right than say something totally wrong. And the reason is, is anything that's a pedal, you can easily be talking about the wrong thing. Okay. So you said Leslie G. There's all kinds of stuff. There's a Leslie G. I see a Lester G Deluxe and a Lester K. Okay, so less is it less? It's got to be the Lester. Let's see. Hold on, real quick. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, it's a rotary speaker. Okay, so the Lester K is the rotary speaker, which I have not experienced, so I can't really tell you. And then obviously the G. So it's 178, and then for 224, a little bit more, 50 bucks more ish. You get the uh, the Lester G Deluxe rotary speaker pedal. Um, having the fact that I have not tried them, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. What I, I, so I don't have an opinion of them. 
Um, but there is a lot of Leslie style pickup uh, pedals that I like out there. So, and I like uh, Electro Harmonics a lot in as pedal company. So, uh, let's see. But uh, I have the big spender uh, from Dan Electro. They sent me. They sent that to me, obviously, uh, to let me try it out and have it. Uh, and I, I like it a lot. And it's a much less expensive uh, pedal. Um, you know what one I like still? I like the Boss one. That's really good. But I bet you, I'm trying to think what else makes it. There's a lot of good ones out there. I just haven't tried those. So, and they definitely don't seem cheap. I wonder if they have an expression hookup. That's something I'd be curious about for that price. Okay. What's the next, what's the next question? Okay. Oh, here's a good one. Mid, mid range wants to know fender hot rod or a base breaker for grunge Nirvana style clean tone. Please help. I have a coupon and I need to use it. Oh yeah. I know that feeling. Um, so, you know, for clean tone, you're saying clean tone. I know you're saying grunge clean tone, you know, clean, but to me it's clean is clean. Uh, I, I prefer the hot rod over the base breaker for, for the options. You know what I mean? For, for clean, the base breaker, I think has a better distortion than the fender hot rod, but if you're into grunge and Nirvana, you're not looking for a polished distortion. And I think the base breaker has got that more of a, a really nice polished good distortion i think if i was going to do a nirvana style clean and grunge style music i would go with the hot rod the hot rod is tried and true it'll be around for a long time it's it's a classic uh and i wouldn't suggest anything i wouldn't do given those two amps i would pick the hot rod for myself so so there you go uh alicia shreds says hey phil i'm hoping to move to america from england i have six guitars is traveling with so many with so many something to be scared of. Um, well, assuming you're flying here, I'm assuming, uh, unless you, you know, unless you take the boat, um, not, I don't think it's going to be a big deal. So let me put it this way. There's a couple things that you may be thinking you're concerned about and you shouldn't be, uh, when it comes to the, Oh, you know what the trick is the Lacey act allows you to carry 30 pounds of rosewood with you. And I can't imagine there being 30 pounds of rosewood with all those guitars personally, but that's something you have to look into. You're going to have to look that up. The other thing is if you ship them, same thing, they have to have the lacy paperwork. Now, if they have rosewood, that is the other issue that you're going to have to come across and deal with. Uh, and you can look that up. I'll put a link in the description. I'll look it up after the show and put a link in the description. Um, so that's something that you have to deal with now, unfortunately. Um, Theft wise, you definitely have to worry about it. You know what I mean? That's where guitars come up missing when people are traveling, shipping and traveling. Um, what I would recommend is this. If there are guitars and you're passionate about them, you care about them, you need to insure them. You can get travels insurance. You can get shipping insurance. Um, I would suggest shipping them if you can and taking maybe one or two with you personally that you care the most about. I think that's going to be more practical. It's more easy for you contr to control having two of them versus trying to ma you know maintain all six and pack them well and insure them and you'll be fine. Okay. Um, so many good questions. S 
Sinners Dwarf says, have you tried Railhammer pickups? I have not. I just wanted to let you guys know that, uh, or not let you guys know. Sorry, there's there's a comment coming in. Uh, I haven't. I just wanted to let you know I haven't tried them. But I wanted to say it so I can look them up. One thing that's nice when you guys ask me about stuff I haven't tried, I want to say it in the video so I can put it in the comments in the index uh, and then look it up later. Okay. Uh, Mr. Tard T. Dare says, just joined. Have we talked about Gibson yet? We have not talked about Gibson yet. Uh, um, there wasn't even a Gibson question. Does anyone have any questions about Gibson? I mean, I think it's been pretty covered heavily throughout the week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jim Ed says, what's your take on the Gibson bankruptcy? Oh, simple enough. Um, if you look at October 27th of 2017 on our live show, that was a question. What will happen with Gibson? I stated everything I thought was going to happen to Gibson. It's exactly, uh, what has happened that, you know, whatever happens, they might, the owners might change, but the company itself will stick around. Um, and, uh, the, so let's tie in a couple questions to this. Okay. So since this is a big topic for the week, it says, Hey, Phil, since Gibson filed chapter 11, do you think any other company will buy them? It is very possible. A company will try to acquire them while in bankruptcy. That happens a lot. A lot of companies that have been acquired during bankruptcy did not want to be acquired. They were trying to reorganize and while the reorganization happens. And the reason that happens a lot of times is because you got to understand that for a company to file bankruptcy and then continue on. The judge, the bankruptcy judge, the court has to believe that they can operate this company, right? They're not going to let them just do it again. Like, hey, these knuckleheads ran into the ground. Now just try it again. Do over button hit. Go ahead. No, they got to show uh, that they've figured out the mistakes, that they've figured out how they have to have a new plan. And then they have to make the courts believe that the um, the team, the team, the, the leadership team can execute the correct uh, idea and vision for the new company. Now, in this, uh, ha what's happening with Gibson is obviously Henry is taking a step back. He's going to a um, consolidating, not consult consulting position. He's going to consult for a little bit. That makes sense. No matter what you think of Henry and how he's run the company, I'm sure whoever's running it now will want to know what was going on before. So he'll be there for that capacity. Um, so, uh, so they're going to try and keep the company and keep everything. So it'll be seamless. No one will even notice anything for the most part, maybe a little, maybe some hiccups and deliveries to, to some of the dealers, but I doubt it. And in the meantime, absolutely. Yes. Somebody with money can come in and get them if they want. It can definitely happen. Uh, the other thing is, uh, that can definitely happen is they could be forced to sell off things they don't want to sell off. Now, there's a speculation about Epiphone being sold off. Here's the thing with that. There's a thing that's important to know about Epiphone. Epiphone is like the third largest guitar company in the world. Okay. Now, you understand that if Gibson was compelled to sell off Epiphone, they'd be selling off a competitor. They're, they're creating a competitor. So there's an easy argu argument for Gibson to say, hey, look, yeah, you want us to sell off this asset because it has value. But if we do that, we'll be fighting them for the rest of our lives. We'll be, we'll be, you know, competing against products. Plus there's licensing deals that we don't quite know about. I don't know uh, how that licensing would work. Would Gibson then be, you know, pulling back the licensing to use a Les Paul name and, and stuff like that. My guess is that Gibson will, here's my guess. So I did the guess in October. I'm going to do the guess again. Here's my guess. I don't know who's going to take over Gibson, whether or not the, the original plan that they put forth to the courts happens or if somebody buys them. But regardless of what happens, here's what I think is going to happen 
to the actual guitars. I think Gibson will retain itself and it will spend money and time into making sure the brand looks better. One thing that you've seen happen with companies when they get bought by bought out in these kind of stories or they reorganize, they put a lot of emphasis on profit and brand image. In other words, they, they gotta, they're going to put a lot of money in the company to make the brand stronger, which means, in my opinion, making the guitars more expensive. We've seen this before, so you know. Uh, Fender received a large sum of money to kind of bail them out of some debt a few years ago. And we've seen the Fender Strats go up in price and add bone nuts and, you know, improve the quality and increase the price. Again, brand image, you know, make that image stronger. So I think that's what the Gibson will do. More, more focusing on making the guitars look better and sound better and be more expensive because that's part of that image too, right? You perceive it to be more expensive. It's usually perceived to be better. Whether you agree with that or not, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's a perception. Um, so I think that's what's going to happen with Gibson. And then Epiphone will, will um, probably stay with Gibson. If, if Epiphone is sold off, I'm sure there's going to have to be a lot of um, adjustments are made to the Epiphone line so that it doesn't become a problem for Gibson. I personally would be concerned if I saw Gibson sell off Epiphone because that would be a sign that they would maybe looking at doing the import line uh, for the Gibson lineup. And the reason is, is because there's no reason to do an import line if you have Epiphone, but if you don't have Epiphone, uh, you know, you're going to have that company to compete against you. So, so there you go. But as for that, I, I didn't do a video about it this week because everybody else did. And to be honest with you, there's a lot of things going on. We just don't know. Just because they're filing bankruptcy doesn't mean anything yet. Uh, we don't know. Does it mean Gibson will be around? Or it, it most likely does, but we don't know. So there you go. In the meantime, hold on a second. I lost some questions for a second. I have a question for you guys, though, and we'll put it in the comments so that we'll be in the index. What does it mean to you that they're filing bankruptcy? I will tell you what I did this week. I bought two Gibsons this week. So um, just because Gibson was on my brain, we everybody was talking about Gibson so much. I was like, you know, I kind of want to get an SG. I've been trying to get an SG for weeks now. And uh, I found a good deal on one and I got one. And, uh, and that's what it is. And it wasn't like, I'm not telling you guys to invest in Gibson. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. I wanted Gibsons to play and, you know, it was, it was on my mind so much this week that uh, that I bought them. Okay, hold on. And we're going to pull up where I've lost some questions because of my screens. Like I said, be patient with me. This episode's going to be a little tricky because of the change. Okay, Shane Gelvin wants to know, what do you think of lace sensor dually pickups? Shane, I will definitely tell you in a week or two, I am putting a red lace sensor dually pickup in one of my strats. So that is happening. I currently have a red in the uh, lace sensor in the bridge with a silver in the middle and a blue in the neck. And I'm going to put the lace dually, which is their humbucker uh, red in the bridge to see what I think of it. And I will, uh, I will make a video and make that available uh, 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 for you, for anybody actually. So, um, Netzer442 says, have a beer. Thanks, man. I could use one this week. <laughs> like I said, I was like, thank goodness I, I backstored a, a ton of video content on my hard drive before the computer crashed. Um, Fincy15 says, upgrading a PRSSE Custom 24 pickups. Do you know if covered pickups will fit the 
50 millimeter or 53 millimeter spacing? Uh, yes. Two questions, right? The first answer is yes. The uh, PSAC uh, covered pickups will fit. No problem. They'll fit into the sec, uh, in the spaces of the SE Custom 24. And you, I would, uh, if you're going to do it, get 53 millimeter spacing for the bridge and then get the 50 millimeter for the neck. That's what I would recommend. But like I said before, you can do 50 for both. But I would do 53 in the bridge, 50 in the neck if you have a choice. Shut Up Let's Talk says, what does guitar mean to you? Question mark. Just wooden strings or so much more. Spill your guts if you can, man. Cheers. What does guitar mean to me? Well, it means everything to me. Uh, now I have children, so technically my children mean everything to me. I think that's, the, you know, but guitar for me, it's different for everybody. Some people got into guitar because, you know, they, they, they wanted to uh, impress people or they wanted to be a rock star, maybe famous. I started playing guitar because... For me, it was just a great way to deal with being an adolescent kid. You know what I mean? It was just, that's what I, I wanted to, I needed something to do. And it was just guitar was what spoke to me. And guitar my whole life has been my center. And what I mean by that is I've had many hats now in this uh, lifetime of mine. You know, I've served in the army and I've worked in corporate America and I've, I've owned a business. And, uh, and every time, no matter what was happening in my life, guitar is where I came centered, you know, uh, where I can come back and kind of keep my sanity and be happy and enjoy myself. And it's a very important thing to me without it. I don't know what I would do. Um, it has been there every time I've needed it. And, uh, for many reasons and whether or not this is playing the guitar, which is most time what it is. Sometimes it's just talking about guitar, just something, just nice to have something mostly too. You know, what else is nice about things like this is what's nice about playing guitar, being a musician, is it's a fast way for me to, uh, to meet other people that have the same likes as me, you know, and, and, and it's a nice way to start a conversation than having to talk about things I don't want to talk about. You know, a lot of people have, we have a lot of things in common as, as people on the planet earth that are not very exciting to be, you know, not very, I don't want to say fun. That's the word I'm looking for. They're not fun that we have in common, you know, uh, whether we have to worry about politics or, or, uh, you know, planetary issues. Those are things we have in common, but maybe it's not the funnest story to have to conversation to have to start. It's nice to be able to talk to somebody. I can tell you this too. I've, I've been friends now with so many different types of people, uh, over the years, you know, whether the, you know, it's like people that barely speak English <laughs> I'm good friends with because, you know, we just have this passion together. People that, you know, uh, are, are different professions than me. You know what I mean? So it's, it's nice bonding experience. So guitars means, so what it means to me is it means everything without it. I don't know what I would have done so far in my life. Uh, it was, has not been a picture perfect life at this point, but guitar has definitely made it all worthwhile. Uh, Ian says any experience with the MXR M81 bass preamp? Yep. And I have, so let's see what the question is. I'm going to be playing some bigger shows this summer and I want to know if the base DI is worth it or is it versus a bigger amp and cap? Um, okay, so that MXR M81 base preamp, I liked it. I kind of prefer the Sans amp more. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because that's like an industry standard. And, you know, uh, you know, everybody's gonna have a different opinion. But so, you know, for I really do trust the Sans amp stuff and I'm a big MXR fan, but and that pedal too, but I ended up getting it and then going back to my Sans amp. So Sans amp for me is a recommendation. I even like the radial stuff. I like so much stuff, but to me, it's like the Sans amp is just a good way to go too. Um, but is it worth doing DI or is it worth a bigger amp and cab? Man, that's up to you totally. Uh, 
I can tell you this, if I can get away with just using a preamp, that's, that's my plan. But sometimes, you know, because here's the deal. Once you go, once you go to a preamp situation where you don't have a big amp and cab, you're at the mercy of wherever you go. So you got to be okay with that. If you're okay with that, you'll be fine. But if you are not, if you're a little bit of controlling, you know, right. If you're a little bit of control freak, you might want to have your own bass amp and rig and, and, uh, and have your sa your sound wherever you go. Cause a preamp is going to be kind of your sound through whatever they, they have. So it depends on how much control you want to let relinquish. And Mark Allen says, Hey Phil, I'm basically an interme intermediate player and I want to switch from combo amp to head and cab. What do you recommend to start out? That's not so expensive. Um, well, Mark, one of the things that'd be nice is to know what kind of combo amp you already have. Uh, head and cab is to me is, is, I mean, obviously they make combos and they make head and cabinet versions of amps, uh, but not too expensive. That's a tough question every time because I don't know, you know what I mean? I don't know what re in retrospect, what expensive means to me, everybody's gonna have a different opinion about this. To me, when I hear somebody said head and cab are not so expensive, I'm thinking like 800 bucks. That's like a reasonable price to pay for a head and cabinet. Um, you know what I mean? But uh, if you're looking for a Fender tone, I highly recommend the uh, Super Champ X2 head and cabinet. And that's in the $550, $500 range new for a head and cabinet, 112 cabinet. But you can mismatch that cabinet. You can get a different cabinet if you like. That's a good option for an amp that I like. Uh, so there's something to think about that. Also, too, I got to know what kind of style of music you like. So if you want to let me know any of that, too, I'll, I'll definitely add to the, the answer. Okay, and unfnk unbelievable. Well, I know what you mean. <laughs> Says what next uh, from other manufacturers feel like or similar to Kiesel. Also, thoughts on the new Kiesel acoustic worth for fourteen hundred dollars. Thank you, Phil. If you guys don't know what he's talking about, uh, are the, uh, the new Kiesel has a new thin line acoustic. They um, they made uh, Jeff Kiesel announced it a couple weeks ago. Uh, I think it looks really cool. I have, as you know, the Godney 6, so the Kiesel idea kind of, you know, sticks out to me. It's a really interesting idea. I don't know anything about it. I'm really curious because I'm not 100% in love with my A6 at this point. I'm like 90% in love with it, so I could see where I could be tempted to go another way. Uh, 1400 bucks. That's the thing, man. I agree. Is it worth 1400 bucks? Well, it's worth what we're willing to pay for it, and I, you know, and the A6 is 800 bucks. Uh, to seven. So it's half. That's tough, but it puts it less than a Taylor T five at 2,500 bucks. Um, okay. So these are a lot of questions. Let's go with the easy part. Is it worth $1,400? If you want it, it's worth $1,400. Uh, me, the, it's not worth 1400 bucks until I hear it or play it. And we know that's going to be almost impossible. It's hard for me to, to take this new thing that I've never heard or seen other than the picture and go, yeah, I, I want that. But it, it, it's possible that I'll, you know, that I'll want it. But I've been staring at him. He's released a couple on Instagram lately that looked really cool. Um, and as for feel to to a similar to a Kiesel for next, um, I, I, I'm going to say you're talking about next shape. That's a tough one too. But when I was picking them up at the NAMM show, they felt really reminiscent to Schecter style next to me. So. So that's, I feel pretty safe saying that the, so Schecter has a gamut of like some thicker necks some thinner necks and then in between necks. I thought the Kiesel's kind of had that same kind of vibe. So I think if you fe felt a lot of Schecter necks, you could feel pretty close to the Kiesel necks. I'm sure some Kiesel players out there are going to disagree. Keep in mind, I, I'm not a Kiesel player. 
I've been uh, debating about getting my first Kiesel. I still haven't bought a Kiesel yet. I'd like to eventually do that and share that experience with everybody. You know, the whole process from start to finish and how it goes. Because uh, I know I, I, I'm apprehensive to, to buy a Kiesel because of the fact of all these unknowns. So I promise you, if I do buy a Kiesel, I will document every single thing of it uh, so that it might help anyone else thinking about doing it because uh, I would like to do that too. DRB just did a super chat for no reason. Thank you, DRB. I appreciate that. Sean Brown says, uh, what is thin line? Huh? Uh, what is thin line? Thin line, like a thin line acoustic, right? I'm a thin line. There's thin line telecasters and there's thin line acoustics. Thin line telecaster is a semi hollow, uh, telecaster. You guys. So if you Google, uh, thin line, Telecaster, it's going to be a Telecaster that has semi-hollow chambered. Uh, they started in the 70s, I believe, mostly because they, they they were heavy. The ash was really heavy, so they were just hollowing it out and putting a top on it. That's the main reason I, I think they did it. There's probably some other reasoning they, they explained, but, man, the thin line set, the real thin lines from the 70s when you pick them up, even ho half hollowed out, they're like eight pounds. Um, so a thin line telly is a, a semi-hollow telly. A thin line acoustic is an acoustic that's very thin. Uh, of course, and it has a really mid-rangey kind of thinner sound to it because it doesn't have that doesn't have a big enough bowl to create a lot of bass. Uh, Tommy says, "What's your thought on the Gibson Collector Choice? Are they worth the money over the price?" Uh, now, here's what I can say: I don't know what that is, so I'm going to assume it's expensive. Let's take a look. You'll find where I kind of my gap and what I talk and know about it is when guitars get kind of pricey i don't buy guitars that are yeah i mean here's one for 5700 bucks it, it's just it's you gotta understand like i just bought a gibson les paul this week see 5900 bucks here here's the thing i i i will tell you this and it's everybody's got a different story when it comes to what is expensive uh, when i buy stuff sometimes people watching this channel say that my stuff is expensive everybody's comfort level on what they spend is different. I will tell you why my comfort level is set the way it is. Okay. So if you notice I collect guitars and I buy guitars and there's a certain threshold of price, I don't go past. And here's what for me it is. Um, I think it's because when I, when I buy guitars, which I do purely for enjoyment and I, and I, and, and I, I love that I am able to work hard and, and be able to buy a guitar and enjoy it. Uh, and I don't feel any happier now than I did 20 years ago or 30 years ago. I don't know if I'm playing guitar long that long, but you get the idea when I bought less expensive guitars. But what I will tell you is this, I know what a guitar is worth. So I know when I buy an American Strat, if I sell it used what it's worth and I don't plan to sell it, but I always think in my back of my head, you never know. Okay. So if you buy a $10,000 guitar and I sell it, 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 I know what you're going to get for it. So sometimes I worry about more expensive guitars like that. They're harder to sell. They take a little longer. So it, it makes me more nervous knowing I have something that if I ever need to get rid of it, I can't. So, okay, let's see. All right. DRB says my comment got lost. Okay. Marshall DSL 40 combo on sale at Sweetwater. What do you think? Also when, will you get a wikipedia page um i don't know <laughs> i don't know i don't know if i'll ever get a wikipedia page i don't i don't think i rate that's for sure but i appreciate you uh you know kind of insinuating i, I might rate 
Um, yeah, the DSL 40 combo, that I combo I've owned, I did a review against it against the Hot Rod Deluxe. The DSL series I was not a big fan of, the first series, but the DSL 40 combo I was. It was a good amp. I've heard some people say that theirs kind of broke. Uh, I've heard a lot of people say that they're, they're bulletproof. But overall, based on my experience and all the people I know with the DSL 40, I think it's a good deal. And I think they're on a deal right now at Sweetwater, right? So, yeah. If you're thinking about it, I don't think you'll be displeased. If you're wanting the Marshall DSL sound, that JCM 2000 kind of sound, they have it in spades and they sound great. Uh, Flying Hawaiian says, if you never bought a Rivera Rock Crusher, would you still get it or would you get something else for the money? No, I would still get the Rock Crusher. Um, I was told that the Fryat one, I guess, is better. Obviously, the Ox by, um, what is that, uh, Universal Audio, is I was told, is better. But what I can tell you is if you just watch one video, I don't care what video out there, find a video on YouTube and watch Rivera talk about how they build their stuff. And you're a believer of the quality. Uh, the Rock Crusher is a great thing. Uh, what it does, it does what all attenuators do. It darkens the sound a little bit. It does. It has all the problems attenuators have, but it's still one of the best ones out there for quality. And I trust it completely. And so you know, I get a little nervous. Uh, people ask me if attenuators are safe for amps, and I believe they are. I've never had an issue, and I've you know with them, but. I'm a little nervous of some of the weird off-the-brand things. I mean, you know, when I'm taking my uh, $2,000, well, it's not $2,000, but if you take a, like a, that Archon behind me, that's $1,500 street price. I bought a used one. I got it for eight, but, you know, it's still a $1,500 amp. I take a $1,500 amp. I don't want to stick it in a $99 thing and watch it melt down. <laughs> it's not worth it. So to me, the, the attenuator is an important part of it. And I bought my Rock Crusher used uh, for $375 by GuitarCenterUsed.com. Uh, you know, and uh, I thought that was a very good price to pay for it. I think they're five new or something like that, but I find them all day, you know, for under four used. Definitely better used, you know, price to get it. Um, so, yeah, I'm Marcelo just did a super chat for just to say, hey, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, email says, hey, Phil, is Hondo Strat from the 80s for $200 USD a good price? All right, we're going to we're going to have a talk, Emil. OK, ready? Inspired by sharpened videos, I want something cool to mod. Okay, here's where I don't know the answer, so I'm going to give you my speculation. I don't, when I think Hondo, and I think 80s, I do not think $200. I think Hondos is being disposable $80 to $100 guitars, but sometimes because people collect what they had when they were younger, people get excited about those guitars, so I, I can see where the Hondos would come up in price. What I feel is if you have a connection to Hondo, it means something to you as a kid, like that was a cool guitar, or it's a weird off-brand, or you like the way it looks, you go for it, but do I think you can find something as good as a Hondo for 200 bucks? Absolutely. We talked about Harley Bentons and me not being, being a huge fan of them overall. You know, they're good quality and stuff. I would probably recommend a, a Harley Benton over a Hondo. Hondo, to me, from the 80s, is going to be riddled with all kinds of weird stuff like plywood body. You got to understand, some of the cheap guitars from the 80s and the 70s, they, instead of using the, 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 the cheap labor and mass volume logic that they use now, that builds almost everything on the planet Earth. They were using cheaper materials too. So we think sometimes the older stuff is better, but not older, cheaper stuff. It tends to always be a little bit different. So me, I think for $200, $200 is real money for me. You know what I mean? That's a legitimate amount of money to have. Uh, I think you can find some really great stuff. Unless that Hondo is somehow special to you, but a Strat copy Hondo, 
I would say no. Plus, the other problem you're going to have is you want to do the sharpening. You want to mod it up. I've talked about this before. When you grab those all, you know, you understand when you get this Hondo guitar, it's going to have a lot of stuff on it that is not correct for aftermarket stuff. In other words, the, the spacing is going to be weird. The size, the fitting, you're going to be constantly trying to fit it to things. So I would go with when you're going to buy a cheap guitar or an inexpensive guitar and mod it up, try to find a guitar where you know you can get a good amount of good parts. Because again, part of the part of the thing is you want to learn something, you want to have fun, but you don't want to go down a money pit, man. And you don't need to shove $500 into a $200 Hondo. Uh, it's just it, the, the education will not pay off. Whatever you learn from doing that, which is valuable, won't be worth that much money. Uh, so some, some, some stuff to think about. Buzz Wilson just did a super chat for a Kiesel fund. I do. I appreciate that. Um, you know, like I said, the, I appreciate you doing that. Like I said, the Kiesel thing will happen. Um, I, I think I talked about this when I did the, uh, the, uh, um, the Chapman Sharp Max fund that, that I keep a fund and these funds, I kind of slush them up and that's what we did. And then I says, so the Kiesel will be a definitely guitar that I, that I, that I will do next. Cause I know it's requested. It's like the Squire contemporary Kiesel. I can name all the guitars. It's right now. It's Harley Benton, the, the Squire contemporary series Kiesel's. Um, what else? I mean, that are highly, you guys are saying, Hey, could you get it, your hands on it and check them out? Um, there was something else. The Chapman's were on that list, but now that we've satisfied the Chapman, I uh, the Chapman thing, I think that's over with. Um, trying to think of anything else that you guys have been pretty, pretty on lately. Um, Donald did a super chat. Thank you, Donald. Uh, okay. Blake says, Hey, Phil, first time joining live. What are your thoughts on the Eastman SB 59 SB 59 V versus Gibson Les Paul? Uh, not looking to resale. Okay. So I've had great experience with Eastman. I love the quality. Uh, in fact, Eastman's one of those brands. Uh, I put Eastman in a special category. What I've done is I've, I've uh, what's the other recording King acoustics is like that. It's a brand of guitars that every time I touch them, I think definitely more value than dollar. In other words, I feel like I'm always getting more than what I'm paying for with Eastman stuff. I'm always been impressed. I think Eastman's also got a cool reputation too, as being that kind of like, it's, it's not an expensive brand, but it's got, you know, it's got credibility. So if you're trying to save some scratch and get something pretty decent, I think the Eastman's way to go. But if you're, uh, but in the long term, you know, right? If you're trying to save some bucks and you're going to get the Eastman, I think you could be happy. But in the long term, a Gibson Les Paul is always the best best answer because in the end of the day you're going to still want a gibson les paul that's the problem with all this gibson talk everybody forgets all this stuff one thing that always seems to be to to to, to people to forget when you buy these uh gibson les paul type guitars you if you can be happy with it you should buy it but if you every day you you think about gibson's and you're like how can i get a gibson like guitar just just get the gibson right um you know it's a guitar you can keep forever you'll give it to your grandchildren so there you go. And, and if you, and if, if that's not something in the near future, you think you can do, then you can get the Eastman now and keep that for many years and then eventually get the Gibson too. So there's always options. That's what I did. I had, I had, I had a knockoff Fender and knockoff Gibson forever before I finally got my first Fender. And I did exactly what everybody does. I bought a knockoff Fender, had that forever. Mine was JV player. Then I got a Mexican made Strat and then I got an American Strat. And Gibson Les Pauls, I got a knockoff one with a bolt-on neck. Um, trying to remember what mine was. Greco. Gecko? Greco. Something. With a G. Um, probably Greco. <laughs> Anyways, add that. Uh, and then I got an Epiphone. And then I got a Gibson Les Paul. And it took, you know, it took me years to get that. But that's how I did it. 
you know um a lot of my collection uh, i work it like a baseball collector would work it um i buy a guitar that i can afford that i like i'm happy with it and i keep it for a while and then when i see an opportunity to sell it and get into something else i move up and it's just how it's been done and at some point i hit a level uh for me it's like the standard strat by you know fender standard strat and a gibson standard that's where i'm like okay i'm happy i don't need a custom shop gibson les paul um or something crazy like that okay uh, marcello says my strat style guitar has a 12 inch radius fretboard okay and a set of texas specials should i adjust the pole heights so that they better represent the radius uh and have more even volume output each string my guess is you wouldn't even be able to tell that's my guess if you were to adjust those pole pieces so no um and uh i the pole piece thing is a, is a thing that some people really swear by. Me personally, I, I don't put a whole lot of faith in it. And the reason being is because, you know, I have flat pickups too that just sound fine. I've never, I have never adjusted. Now I've adjusted pole pieces, so you know. And you know, sometimes you know, you, you know, you got to try stuff. I've tried everything at some point. You know, everybody's got an afternoon with tools and a guitar and goes, okay, let's start messing with stuff. Um, yesterday I spent most of the day, uh, cause I couldn't think about computers anymore. I was going to snap. I spent most of the day working on guitars. Uh, so, so that's what I was doing. Not, not work guitars, like repair guitars, but working on stuff like this. Like, how does this sound? And how does this work? And I took some footage, maybe hopefully it'll turn into a video. Um, but, um, but no, uh, you know, I wouldn't put the effort into it. I don't think you'll see a result that you, that'll warrant anything that makes a whole lot of sense. Okay, so Emil says the question follow-up question is: Are you Squire standard better for mod then? Yes. Yeah, you know why? Um, because even though a lot of Squire guitars don't fit Fender standard parts, they will. There is so many Squires on the planet Earth that enough uh, aftermarket companies make parts for Squires too. So you see the term all the time: import Fender all the time. So yes, you can find a lot of parts from Squire. You can do everything you can do to a Fender Strat. You can do to a Squire Strat. Um, not with the same exact part but with a like part because there's so many squires. It just makes sense. You know, if you're going to fix up an old Ford uh, or an old, uh, you know, uh, you know, it, you're going to find more aftermarket parts because it's a heavily sold vehicle. Okay. And hold on a second. Give me a second to catch up with you guys. Okay, uh, Donald Davenport says, good locking keys for a PRS SE. Um, I'll have to look it up again. There's an actual company that makes a PRS, or sorry, there's a locking key uh, that it will fit in those holes of the PRS SEs. But so you know, the ratio keys with the adapters will work too. Um, and I like them as well. I've used those a lot, as you guys see in the Sharp of My Axe videos. I was using them before. GraphTech was just sending them to the Sharp End of My Axe videos. Um, but what's nice about that is I highly recommend them and I've never been compensated by, you know, I'm not compensated that way with graph tech. They, they help with the sharpen X, which helps me take care of the videos for other people. But, uh, I have no skin in the game when it comes to telling you to buy those tuners. So I, I really highly recommend them. I really like hip shot too, but the ump plates don't really, uh, work for the PRS SEs. I have hip shots downstairs too, as well. Uh, there'll be in a couple of sharp maxes coming up videos coming up, but the ump plates are not as easy as the uh, ratio keys. I would give the ratio keys. Uh, a uh, 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 thought but so you know every single key you can find you can make a you can find the locking version of that they exist okay
Hold on. I just double checking. I just want to make sure we're not losing anything. Okay. Um, the next one is Mark says $800 is about right. I like metal, hard rock, and grunge. Okay. So right now I have a crate GFX 20 and a Marshall G15 CD. Okay. So if you guys follow up, this is Mark's question about a good head and cabinet uh, upgrade versus a combo. And he's got 800 bucks uh, in his budget. Uh, he likes metal, hard rock, and grunge. And so here's the good news, man. You got to create GFX 20 and a Marshall G15. Everything is up from there, <laughs> right? Everything you get is going to be like a, oh yeah. Um, so for 800 bucks and you want a head and cabinet, um, something that I think about, if you like metal and hard rock, the PV5150 micro head and cabinet from PV, uh, the head would be about five and the cabinet's going to put you under under three. You could buy them used and definitely be in the six, $700 range for the both. Those would be a cool setup. I like those. Um, and um, I like the Blackstar um, 20 watt head and cabinet. That's pretty reasonable. Jet City, man. Look at Jet City. That's another ver another stuff too. Another version of that price range amp you can get. There's a lot of great stuff. Those, I, in fact, in order, I'll give them an order. I, I, the Jet City probably sounds the best to me, but for some reason, I'm going to recommend the PV just because I think it's versatile. It's a nice little thing. And that amp is a really good amp from PV. PV head and a cabinet. That's great. If you want something a little bit, uh, like a little bit less fizzy distortion, more kind of growly, uh, even though Jet City is kind of fizzy too. Jet City. In fact, I'm just going to say those two are right now, just to not overcomplicate the issue. A lot of people probably recommend Orange. I, rec I recommend the Orange. I've had no bad experience with them, but I I'm going to recommend my Jet City and, and PV first, um, just because I think they have a lot of, a lot of cool stuff. Okay. Now... Hey, we're doing pretty good. We haven't crashed yet. <laughs> I was a little nervous today. Uh, Kevin says, hey, are you still interested in trying the PV Interactive Amp? Yeah, we talked about that a couple uh, shows ago. You're local, right? And uh, and he's willing to let me try it. That's the one that Misha Manshore uses. Um, yes, Kevin, I'm just trying to get my schedule set. Like this stuff that happened this week really messes with it because the video content this week got a little problematic to make. Uh, because of these issues. So I'm trying to catch up. The I'm hoping to be actually on track. I mean, my videos are coming out on time, but on track uh, in a week. Uh, I thought it was going to be this week, and then when the computer crashed, I was like, ah, oh, that must be Murphy's Law. So I am really interested in the, uh, checking out that amp and doing a review because there's no reviews of it. Hey, Phil. Uh, Robert says, hey, Phil, I was wondering what do you think of the Epiphone Phantomanic? What? I don't know what that is. You know what's funny is when you guys make this really fun because you guys find stuff. You you know I'm on the internet all the time looking at gear and re and then you guys find stuff. Oh, the Wilshire Phantomatic. Well, let's see. What, oh, I like this. So it's like a Wilshire. Why is it different? Hold on a second. Let's share with you guys. Here you go. So it's the Wilshire, which I've played and set up and which I like. It's got a cool vibe. And I'm sure whatever it is is different is that switch right there, right? That one, two, three, four, five, six. So given that I I like the Wilshire, so I'm cool with it. 
and uh, just because curiosity, hey, there's a video. So uh, why buy iPhone guitars from Sweetwater? That's not the video we were looking for. We're looking for an actual explanation of that. Um, custom electronics. Okay, it's got a new electronic setup. The Phantomatic starts off with two pickups. El Nico Classic Plus Humbucker in the bridge position. El Nico Humbucker in the neck. To further broaden the sonic capabilities, capabilities, Epiphone includes a well-known Variatone notch filter with six. This is cool. So uh, what was the price on this again? Was it reasonable? 600 bucks? Oh, man, I don't know. 600 bucks? It's six pounds, 10 ounces? I'm going to give it a, yeah. That's my official. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Let's go get it. Did I stop that and go back? Hey, I'm back. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, I dig it. I always like the Wilshire. It's got a cool vibe to it. Uh, I play uh, a PRS Mira and it's got that kind of vibe to it. The Wilshire's got a lot of things I like. Um, and that cool switch sounds really fun. 600 bucks sounds expensive, but you know, I don't know. What does stuff cost now? You know, let's be honest. What would I want to pay for that? $450, $500. So, I mean, when I say expensive, I'm saying it's $100 more than I'd want to pay. And I, I'm not, I didn't even know about it until a few minutes ago. So, if I, so maybe that's a good price. Um, okay. Flying Hawaiian says, Phil, how do you like the Rock Crusher? Is it worth it to attenuate a Fender Princeton or Marshall Class 5? So, um, uh, you don't. What I don't really attenuate my Princeton. You can um, to get it to break up. Uh, you know, yeah. Is it? I mean, it's cool. I have it for that. The Marshall Class Five too. You can attenuate as well. You know, you you can internally attenuate it. So, um, yeah. So the answer to your question: What I what I, is it worth it to have for attenuate those things? Yeah, if you want to attenuate your Princeton in Class Five, I, I like the Rush Crusher, Rock Crusher. I really really like the Rock Crusher, not because of I mean it's got great sounds, but I like I said I think it's built well. It has great uh, value; it holds a value too. So attenuators are a thing that I you know you, you have for years and then you want to get rid of because. But yeah, I, I like everything about it. Alexander says, "I just bought a used tube screamer TS9." And with all the boutique, boutique pedals out, this pedal is so good. Yes. The TS9. There's a reason why um, all of the stuff that has been around forever has been around forever. The TS9 is perfect. Think of all these pedals behind me. You know, I, where I disagree, I'll tell you where I disagree, and I'll tell you where I agree. I disagree with the statement that all pedals eventually start sounding the same. They all sound the same. Here's what I can tell you. This is where um, some people lose contact with uh I don't want to say reality, but of the perception. What I will tell you is this. If you try 200 pedals, you are going to hear a lot of pedals that start sounding alike. If you try 20 pedals, you're most likely going to hear 20 different pedals. In other words, yes, if you keep trying and buying pedals, at some point you're going to go, yeah, I've had this one. I've had this one. I've had this one. I've tried this one. Yes. But even then there are micro nuances. So at first, when you're trying pedals and you're getting into pedals, there's going to be massive differences. The difference between a TS9 and a, a metal zone is dramatic, right? The difference between the TS9 and the Maxon's version of the Tube Screamer, it's subtle. The difference between that and the next one, it's subtle. You know what I mean? So there's going to be grand, you know, uh, uh, spectrums and micro spectrums. But... Um, 
No, there's uh, like I, one of the things I get concerned with sometimes when people buy boutique versions of pedals, I go, you know, have you ever tried the original? Like, no, no, I figured if that's good, this is better. And I'm like, well, it's not better. It's different. To me, the Tube Screamer doesn't ever get improved. It just gets changed. Some people just, like I said, they don't want the mids. Uh, they don't want it so bright. They don't want the mids so pronounced. Some people want more mids. So, uh, no, to me, the Tube Screamer works perfectly. It's a great pedal. So, yeah, good, yes. And thanks for reminding us of that. It's really important to remember, you know what I mean, that the, the classics. Uh, you know, something, if you look behind me, look at all these, uh, like, kind of pedals behind me, but then I have all these boss pedals. Because boss pedals are good, too. There's just, good pedals uh, are not a price point. That's for sure. You can find... You can find good part, uh, good pedals at every price point. So, some of my favorite pedals were fifty bucks, not even used, new. Um, uh, Brian says, "Hey, my jack's no longer jacked up. I got to switch craft for the telly. Installed it myself. Uh, thanks for your vids. Thanks, thanks, Brian. That's good. Uh, so you guys know, Brian asked me. He had a Telecaster, and he was his jack was all messed up, and he asked me for a good jack." Uh, to recommend and even though I like the pure tone I for the tellies I kind of like the switchcraft over the pure tones so it's funny to me the pure tone jacks that I recommend in the in the, uh, in the um, sharp max I like them for certain guitars and not others and for some reason the telecaster I really like this switchcraft so it worked out for him as he's letting me know I appreciate that uh, Brian I think I owe you a response email you sent me something and I was supposed to respond but I didn't do it yet again the week got a little crazy okay Next on our quest, quest for questions and talking, where are we at? There's 870 of us hanging out on this lovely Friday. Okay, Matthew Roche says, to record bass in studio, should I mic AKG C214, the cab, or direct into the mixer Yamaha MG10UXU, or use an additional 8-inch woofer wired as a microphone amp not wired direct out cab equals 15 inch jbl no direct box okay so for me with bass i constantly find the best sound to be direct in but sometimes so here matthew let me tell you let me tell you a food for thought when it comes to bass and recording if you have a band and they have you have a sound and uh, everybody knows this sound. In other words, you play out all the time and everybody knows your sound. And that sound eventually becomes your bass amp and your bass, right? People hear your bass tone, whether it's an Ampeg SVT or it's a, a you know, uh, a Mark bass or whatever it is, you, you have this sound. When you go in the studio, it's going to be hard to recreate that sound with a direct in sound. So you're going to want to mic the bass amp to get the bass amp sound, your sound, right? That being said, that's a different scenario than I just need a good bass tone. So to me, when I'm recording bass, I'll plug DIN. I'll use a preamp and DIN and uh, and direct into the to the mix and uh, dial in a great bass tone for the song and just critique it to the song. And then now it's the opposite problem. Now if you're jamming later, you're going to have to figure out how to get your amp to sound like that recording. Um, but if you have the ability, I highly recommend that you do both. You record a mic up the bass cabinet and do a direct in. And that way you have the choice to mix the two. Uh, you can either mix them together or you can use them for some parts of the songs and others or just isolate one or the other. Also, you'll get it out of your head which one do you, you kind of prefer. But sadly enough, it's really depressing. You find out throughout history a lot of bass players did DI even back when DI wasn't a big deal. So D bass a lot of time is DI'd in. It's, it's probably the most DI thing in 
more so than anything else. So there you go. Okay. And let's do, let's find out. What do we miss? Anything else that we missed that was big? We covered the big stuff, right? Billy Robertson says, how long can you leave your H Hughes and Kittner in standby mode without worrying about the tubes? Billy. <laughs> so I'm laughing because Hughes and Kittner sent me the Grandmeister 40 and they, uh, to review. And, um, because they sent it to me and they mentioned that it would be nice if it was in the background, a lot of videos, you'll see a lot of videos where it's been on. I just left it on standby for hours. That thing gets hot. The top gets hot, which a lot of two amps get hot, but it gets hot. And I've had no issues. In fact, one day it didn't turn on and I thought we blew it up and we actually, we hit the mute button on the back. Um, so, so far so good. What I will tell you is that Grandmeister 40 review is coming up and I have put it through hell and back because I'm just curious. That's one of the, that's one of the things that, that that's nice. If a company is willing to send me a piece of, of gear and check it out, I'm going to do to it what I would never do to my personal gear. And that's why a lot of videos I've done stuff, you know, took things apart, cut them in half. You know what I mean? Um, because, you know, uh, break strings, you know, do stuff. I'm like, Hey, you know what? If we can do that, uh, it would be nice to see it because it's not always easy to, to, um, to do. You know what I mean? You can't just do that to your own personal gear. There's money invested in there. So, uh, no issues yet with the Hughes and Kittner. It's been a, it's been a bulletproof amp. In fact, that's a, that's a, that amp to me, the Hughes and Gittner, uh, Grandmeister 40, uh, has been what I call a slow burn. I got it. I liked it. Okay. Then I liked it a little bit more. Then I like a little more. Now I'm like, Oh, it's like, you know what I mean though? But I am so glad, I am so glad that I don't get stuff and just open the box and review it because I have seriously found the tones in that amp that I really love. And I think if I would have done the review when I first got the Grand Miser, Hughes and Kittner, I would have said, these are some good sounds. Here you go. You know, and, uh, you know, but now I found a couple tones that I like and uh, they're not tones that I don't think I would have found if I didn't just have it and kept going at it and going at it and trying to figure it out. And especially if, even if I bought it and I'd had a return policy time, I'd probably want to, you know, I probably would have given up. So I've really found some sweet spots. Um, some things that I even thought, like I was going to say originally in the review that it's great, but not great for strats. And now it's my favorite amp to put my strat through for, for, for rock tone. So like I said, I'm excited about that, but no, no issues. And uh, we'll talk about it more when I do the review, I'll make sure to hit up on that since I know that's something you're concerned about. Um, uh, Billy, do me a favor, put in the comments, how long you want me to run it? <laughs> I'll put it on standby for as long as you say, you want 24 hours, 48, 72, how many, how long you want me to put it in standby? <laughs> I'll just put it in standby and see how, how hot this thing gets. Right. Because I know why you're freaked out about it because the thing gets warm. Like you could cook an egg on the top. It's metal and it's packed in there. Everything's in there. Like I, you have the same concern I had. It's like, how do they get everything so close to each other without damaging each other with all that radiant heat and all that problems? So Billy, you give me a time frame, or if somebody else suggests a time frame, uh, so Billy said 48 hours, Billy, I will run it for 48 hours. Okay. I can't time-lapse that. There's just no way I don't have battery power and cameras, but I'll find a way to document that 
to effectively for you. I will put it in the video that we ran it for 48 hours. And uh, you know what I could probably do though? I could probably take a heat shot. You know, um, I think I have something that, you know, like one of those lasers that tells me heat and, you know, and see how hot it gets versus 48 hours later, do something like that. And uh, I think that's something that people are interested in. Cause like I said, I wouldn't have thought about it if I didn't have it, but you guys will see if you ever, if you have one or if you mess with one, they are really impressive, but it kind of does creep you out that they're so packed and tight. Um, and so far so good. So 48 hours, Billy, that is what I will do. And that way you don't have to worry about yours or if mine burns up, then I'll, you'll know. That's why, like I said, I will document it to some point. So if it's something does happen, we'll know, we'll know what hour in it does happen. I'll put it on a stopwatch or something and then do some, maybe every few hours, record a few minutes to say, this is where it is on the stopwatch. Um, <laughs> so H Flynn says, Hey Phil, you're generous with your time and videos. Just curious how you can afford to buy so much gear. Nothing sinister about the comment. Just that's a, a lot of gear. Yeah. You know what? There's nothing wrong with that comment. So it's easy. I have been collecting gear since I've been 15. Okay. And, uh, this will put it in perspective, uh, maybe. So my wife and I have been friends since we were 14. Okay. So we weren't high school sweethearts or anything. We didn't date until we were in our twenties, but we were friends. We knew each other. And so my wife will, uh, loves to tell this to people because when people will look at gear and they go, you know, wow, he's got a lot of stuff. So here's the deal. I've been collecting gear or buying gear since I was 15, since I started playing guitar. And I've had one rule. I don't sell a piece of gear unless I buy a piece of gear. And that's an easy thing now, you know, like, Hey, I sell this pedal and I buy this pedal, but it was a little difficult when, uh, you know, uh, rent was getting tight and, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. The gas gauge was really low on the car and, you know, uh, in tempted to sell a piece of gear to pay for that stuff. And I've done whatever I can over the years to, to not have to do that. Um, now I'm sure at some point in my life, I have sold a piece of gear here or there to pay a bill and, but I have always paid it back to myself. In other words, if I did sell something, let's say a, a cabinet or a speaker or speaker, a pedal or something, and I paid a bill with it, I made sure to, to reimburse myself that money, like a loan, like almost like a pond it to myself and that idea. Um, so over the time, this is, um, uh, this is what collecting gear for 20 plus years. Let's do the math on that. I don't, I don't probably want to know the math on that. 25, 26, 27, 28 years been collecting gear for 28 years. Now I don't do anything else. I have no other hobbies. Uh, I don't fish. I don't, uh, ride motorcycles. So I don't have any, you know, I'm not into anything else that sucks up my, uh, disposable income, just gear. Now keep that in mind too, after you collect for a while, and this is where it really gets important is, uh, certain things that were unobtainable to me, I can trade into them. You know what I mean? My first real expensive guitar. I didn't buy it. I traded for it. I traded three things and got it. You can accumulate this stuff. You can buy deals when you have. Um, now the other thing that's important to know is I've been in this industry making my living from the music industry for 17 years. Is that right? Let's do the math on that. Probably wrong. It's probably 15, 15 years. So for 15 years of the, so I, I literally make my living in this industry, in the music industry. So some, some way or some other. So of course I've, you know, you know, that's how you do it. Plus, like I said, I owned a store for 13 years. This is nothing compared to what the inventory of the store had. <laughs> so, uh, so that happens too. Uh, so that's how you do it. 
but no, I wish I had a cool story like, oh man, I make a couple hundred grand a year and I, you know, it's just living the dream. Nope. I mean, I, I, I really, I'm passionate about this stuff so much so that this matters to me more than like, let's say a, a type of car or, you know, uh, you know, expensive watches, none of that stuff. It's just, this is what I'll spend my money on. Um, if you know me well, my, my really good close friends that ever watch this, if you ever want to chime in, you can rat me out. They'll tell you. Um, uh, I'll, I'll buy a car cause it has cheap, uh, cheap tires. You know what I mean? The tires are cheap to replace because I think about, well, if I spend all the money on tires and maintenance on the cars, cause I'm a maintenance person, I like to have everything maintained a certain way. Uh, I'm like, that's money I can spend on gear. I like, <laughs> so that's how I do it. There you go. Um, all right. Uh, let's do, hold on before we go. I just want to make sure we didn't miss anything. Joseph R says, Hey, Phil, I have a really long question. Could you get an email? I could email you too. Um, yes. The answer is yes, Joseph. Joseph, you can send it to um, uh, P McKnight. It's just P and then McKnight7 at Gmail. That's a public email address. I have a lot of public ones. That's a public one. Just put in the comments, uh, you, you know, Joseph, I'll know who you are uh, and what the question is. Questions, the problem with questions is, is, is that, like you said, the long ones are the tough ones because it's not reading them; it's the responding to them. But since you you kind of hit me here, I'll 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 put I'll put my best foot forward to respond to your question. So sometimes you guys give me a long question; it's hard, and I don't know the answer, so I got to think about it. And then by the time I figured out the answer, I can't find you in the email history anymore. I'm getting better at stuff organized. It's just a lot of volume. This channel had a lot of volume very quickly. So, and that sounds like. You know, maybe that sounds like a brag or something. It's not. It's a it's a crisis. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden nobody's watching you, and then all of a sudden a lot of people are watching you, and it, it's just a lot to you know. You have to figure it out, and that's why I said like videos, everything. I've been figuring out as we go. My goal is to to make this as efficient as I can to do as much as I can. Um. Antoon Jack says, what all do you do in the music industry? Oh, it's easy. Well, obviously I own my own bass company. I made bass guitars and uh, that's where I got the money to open my store. So then I opened a store, I had the store for 13 years. Uh, now, a lot of you guys know that I've been following the channel for a while, know that I close a store because that, because at, at that time I was, I, I'm a full-time repair person. I had a store I was running that had a lesson academy too. And I wasn't running the lesson academy, but you know, okay. So I ran the store and I ran the <clears throat> the repairs. I also have a consulting company that I do consulting, uh, and it's been very lucrative for me for many years. Um, and I've been doing that. And then really all YouTube is, is all the stuff I've been doing. I started making YouTube videos. Uh, you know, I, I've told, told the story. I just start making them, but, uh, this is kind of like what I was doing when I was talking to companies about stuff and I'd go, Hey, wouldn't this cool? Isn't this a weird way to look at this? Isn't this fun? And, uh, and people started watching the videos. So that's how it worked. The YouTube thing, as it grew, it really became this thing where uh, not my repair side, but my store side, it, what I was drawing for salary for the store, this is almost equal to that in that in that logic. So I was like, well, I'll just do the YouTube. So that's where that is. So at this point, um, and sadly enough, my personal opinion, I think cool, cool cred, you know, uh, I think 
building the bases was fun. I think owning the store was really fun. But and being doing YouTube is great. I love doing YouTube. But for some reason, I can tell you now with when dealing with companies, being a YouTuber has more influence with them than owning a store have ever had or anything like that. Companies that when I used to give them hundreds of thousands of dollars as a store, give me more attention now as a YouTuber than they did as a store owner. I've talked to many store owners. I do that too all the time now when I do consulting and I've told them some of the things I've learned now dealing with companies and how companies treat me better as a YouTuber than they did as a store owner, which is funny to me, but uh, funny, interesting, strange, it's strange. So yeah, so yeah, that's how, I'm, that's how I do it. YouTube is what feels like a part-time gig is a full-time gig. So I consider myself part-time YouTube but part-time YouTube now is definitely 40 hours a week, easily. Uh, a Sharpen My Axe video, if you think of it this way, Sharpen My Axe video that you watch is 24 minutes. It takes me about four hours and five hours of footage to make it. I have to edit that down. So you gotta understand, not only did I have to do four or five hours of work, right, which is almost a full work day if you're doing an eight hour work day. So let's say if I do five hours of work, right, so I'm almost a full work day, then I have to watch five hours to edit it. So that's 10 hours of work and then you know in the editing because you're watching all that footage to chop and edit it um so so we'll say 10 hours and then uh you know with the time it takes to contact companies and get the parts the time to talk to the person whose guitar it is and ship them the guitar back get that all orchestrated so on average i would say uh, sharp max takes about um, I'm going to say 20 hours. So that's two and a half days work days. So it's a two and a half. So a sharp and max video is a two and a half work day week. So there you go. But videos don't really work that way. Sadly enough, one video can take me two hours and one video can take me three days. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. Dirt Racer X says video editing sucks. Yeah. It's, I, I love the fact that I'm, I love opportunities, uh, to learn. And, uh, so over my life, you know, as you learn different things, it's great. Learning video editing has been very exciting for me. Um, I don't worry about it now. It takes lots of hours, but at least I'm really interested in this concept because, uh, you know, editing has been, you know, something that I've been learning. And when you're learning something, everything feels fresh and new. So I'm really curious to see what you guys all think of this Monday's Sharpen My X video. It's Sharpen My X instead of Sharpen My Axe. I, I, I'm really excited about this one. Okay, let's, uh, let's do two more and then we'll call it. And uh, let's see what we got. And then real quick, I just want to make sure we didn't lose any Super Chats. Sometimes they get a little buried okay all right i think we're good so let's see what you guys got um uh trey says what software product do you use for video editing so video editing i'm using two believe it or not i use final cut pro and i use um imovie from imac and um and so i jump around from both those and the reason is is because i jump away i jump around with how i make videos again sometimes um sometimes you, you know i what i my son gave me some great advice He's, he's really into YouTubers. You know, he's a teenager. He's really into YouTubers. And he told me 
when my channel started growing, he said uh, that a lot of the YouTubers he watches, you know, in the video game industry, once their channel starts getting bigger, they actually start making less and less content. And he said, and he's right, because as you become, the channel becomes more exposed to people. In other words, as I know, I make a video, you know, making a video and not knowing if anyone's going to watch it is a much different experience than making a video and knowing that 2000 people are going to watch it in the next couple of few, a couple hours. And the reason is, is because when you're going to fall on your face and one person sees it, it sucks. But when you know a thousand people are going to watch it fall on your face, you're more in tune with it than you, you know, than you probably should be. Um, so what I've learned is, is that, um, you get caught up in making sure the videos look perfect. Uh, but it's, it's silly because it really more than the, I think what people, most people, more than a perfect video, people just want you to make the content consistently. So I have decided over time to, if sometimes that's the sacrifice, a funny story is the Chapman, uh, review that Chapman video. If you guys remember the lapel mic was boomy. Well, it's because I wanted to make that video. I wanted to make sure it was done. I was not in a situation where I could queue up my equipment and do this stuff. So I did that on the iPad. So that video was made entirely with an iPad and then iMovie. So sometimes, you know, you use what you got, <laughs> right? There you go. Okay. One more question. This is the last one. Okay. Um, oh, Robert Walker, do you change the guitars behind you for videos? No, I don't. The guitars change behind me because I have two rooms, uh, and in the house, I have the original room that used to watch the videos. You can always tell if I ever in that video, I, I don't do videos in there anymore, but if I, if I am, the walls are white. So you'll see the guitars behind me, the walls are white and there's no pedals on the shelves and these walls are gray. Um, so I have slots here where these guitars hang and then a slots in the other room. And that's why I like the Hughes and Kittner's not in here, but the, the, the Mace is in here because I swapped. In fact, there's my Archon combo down, down there, right? Right underneath the, yeah, the Mesa. Um, so some amps I keep in the other room, some guitars in the other room and, and they swap. I play more in the other room. I just do. It's where I spend my time. Uh, so, uh, so that's why they rotate. And then sometimes they get put in gig bags because I'm not playing them. So there, there you go. But that's why. So I rotate them that way. Um, but, uh, and the reason is, it's funny is if I was smart, I would actually fixate this stuff so it looks the same. So when I cut it, cause sometimes I videotape a part of a video and then a couple days later I videotape the other part. And if you guys are paying attention, you constantly will see stuff's moving around behind me, uh, in the same video, uh, because of that reason, because <laughs> it was a couple days later. So, uh. Um, okay. Last one. Cause he did a super chat is David. It says best case humidifier for a Gibson J 45 been trying the Diodario, uh, Diodario, sorry, Diodario, uh, Humidipax, Humidipax, but can't get the RH, uh, above 30% fellow Arizona here. 30% man. It's tough. You know, I, I'm sure they want you what 50, 60% in Arizona. If you're doing 30 to 40%, you're doing pretty good. Um, those are pretty good. I prefer for me, uh, especially for the money, and I like the Dario uh, Humidipax, but for the money, uh, try Oasis. 
Uh, I'll put a link in the description. Really good stuff. Uh, refillable. I like that as well. Those are great. But sometimes what you're going to have to realize is the only way you're going to get humidity up in the Arizona in your guitar case is that what you said? Base case, case uh, is one in the sound hole and one by the headstock. So you're going to have to run two. And uh, so something to think about there. It's just because, man, we, you live in the desert. You pick the desert to live in and nothing wants to live here with you, including dead wood. So there you go. All right, guys. Great live show. I appreciate you guys hanging out so much. Uh, uh, over 800 of you. As always, I, I thank you guys for uh, dealing with all the stuff of the week with me. Like I said, a little crazy computer issues there, but you know, um, somebody says I missed a super chat by Queefer Sutherland. I will double check right now because, like I said, they're archived. Um, double, double, double checking because you know things happen before we say goodbye. Oh, there it is. Ah, okay. Your opinion on Dane Electro 12 strings. I love the Dane Electro 12 string, the 59. Uh, that's one guitar. It, I, I don't own a 12 string. What I can tell you is if I did own a 12 string, it would probably be that one. There's one at the Guitar Center I like uh, that that is really cool. That So yeah, that's my... I love it. I like my Dane Electro 59, my red one. That's my favorite Dane Electro. So... Um, in fact, they sent me a baritone. I have it, uh, but I was, you know, but I like the 12 string, I think more, but I'm excited about the baritone because I think the 12 string, I just would have been, uh, you know, Hey, it's cool. <laughs> uh, cause I wanted one and the baritone made me think I have to come up with something interesting to do with it. So, uh, yeah, that's a, a good one. So, um, but Oh, and another thing too, I just want to thank everybody, the, all the new patrons um, on the on the uh, the patron hangouts uh, for uh, this month. I will make the announcement when those hangouts will uh, be. Again, this week really threw me off with the com computer crashing. They're going to probably be have my computer for another week or so, but I'll have stuff in place in the next couple of days to to take care of. So there we go. Uh, and anything else? That's it. I think we're good. I appreciate everything you guys do. Uh, thank you for supporting the channel and uh, look forward to Monday's Sharpen My X video. Uh, let me know what you guys think. Uh, and uh, and then we'll talk next Friday. All right, guys. As always, thank you for your time. Know your gear. <laughs>